So last week we talked about identity and some of the, some of the, um, the challenges and roadblocks that we face and, and um, issues that we have with our identity and how God sees us. And so today I'm going to talk about uh, unity. And unity obviously is the opposite, the, uh, the opposite of division. And division uh, is something that we see Every day. Every day. No matter where we go. We are steeped in division. Whether it's in our society or even in our churches. The world is rife with division. Some of it is good. Some of it is good. Some of it is not so good. Uh, and we, I heard this story in our small group a couple of weeks ago. That uh, you know, division is kind of just ingrained in who we are. As humans, we are drawn to separate ourselves, to make it us versus them, right? The people that make me feel good, the people that make me look good, and then the people over there um, who don't, <laughs> and who, do, who we don't want to associate with. And we're drawn into these things that, that kind of um, are similar to us, but, but we're drawn, we draw lines, right? Good, fen- good neighbors make good fences, and we're, you know, we divide ourselves. It's part of human nature that we look at, okay, I'm meeting somebody, you know, and one of our first things that we think of is, all right, what, you know, what's different about them? You know, are, are they going to hurt me? Are they going to make me look bad? Um, but somebody in our small group shared a story about the, the two men uh, there's actually three that were healed of blindness by Jesus, right? In Scripture, there's three different stories of of men getting healed by Jesus. And they, when they get to heaven, they're so excited. And one of them goes, you know, Jesus healed me of my blindness. Like, isn't that so great? And the other one looks at him and is like, yeah, you too? Jesus healed me of my blindness. That's amazing. He's such a good guy, Right? I was blind, and now I can see, and that's amazing. That's awesome. And the third guy's like, yeah, that's so cool. He all healed us. And the first guy's like, yeah, you know, it was a little weird. He spit in my eyes. Um, I don't know what that was about, but it worked. And then the second guy goes, well, no, no, that's that's not it. That's not what he did. He made, he made mud, and that's how he heals you. And that's, I don't know what you're talking about, spitting in the eyes, he made mud and he put it on my eyes and then I could see. And they go back and forth like, well, no, he did it this way. No, he did it that way. And then the third guy's just like, ew, that's gross. All he did was speak and I was healed. Like, I don't know, spit and mud. But they focus on what separates them instead of, in this story instead of like the fact that, oh, you know, Jesus healed us. And so often, even in the church, we think about the beautiful thing that Christ did to bring us together, and yet all we can focus on is what separates us. Uh, another thing that I think of is, is um, so, so Bree, my wife, Brianna, um, she was an Apple girl for a long time. Any Apple people in the room, like, you're just diehard. So she had the phone, she had the tablet, she had the, iPod, the, um, the iPad, the laptop, um, but, but something happened recently. All of her devices failed at the same time. Now, I'm not blaming Apple. Not blame, I'm not trying to cause division. But 
<coughs> Jeff has some Jeff has some thoughts about that. Uh, but they all failed around the same time, and so Bree she she was a little hurt by that, and she is now Google. She got the Google phone and the Google laptop, and it's working. It all syncs together. Um, so, oh, she'll be back. Okay, all right. So, so we are very loyal to what we buy and what we believe, right? Where we place ourselves, we are very firm in what we believe. And, and if you're a Microsoft person, bless you, there's the door, you know, and that's how we feel. Um, so another example of something that divides us, this was given to me this morning. And so for some of you, right, this may just be a box of Cheez-Its. And this was brought to me, somebody gave me this morning, not to be used uh, in the sermon but I used it anyway because it was perfect. So the context, the story behind this, this is a box of extra toasty Cheez-Its. Uh, it is the number one most requested Cheez-It flavor. Um, and at Camp 207, Stacy Gam- uh, not Camp 207, Johnny and Friends, Stacy Gammon had a box of those, and he's like, Ian, you got to try these. Don't try those. They're terrible. Um, I don't understand how they were the number one most requested Cheez-It flavor, because it's just burnt Cheez-Its. Um, but that became a running thing that week of what divided us, because some people thought those were good Cheez-It flavors, and then other people, myself, by myself, said those are disgusting. Um, why would you burn a Cheez-It? Um, but, but so that divided us, right? And so there's so many things. So I, what are some things that you think divide us? Anything? Yes. Politics? Maybe? Yeah, we'll go with politics. Football. You wouldn't know that by by being in this church that sports divides us. But, yes. Uh, Music. Music styles. Yeah, that divides us. Um, If you don't like my taste in music, you don't have a taste in music. Um, So, anything else? Anything else? Religion divides us. Yeah, um, Mike, were you on that thread with milk duds? So we had a we had a Facebook thread that milk duds are the worst Halloween candy, um, and that got that got pretty divided and, and heated. Um, and so we, so we just basically we all the time look at things that divide us, and um, so what are these? Why are we drawn to this? Now, some division is good, right? Some of it is good because it it represents diversity. It represents our individuality as human beings, right? Because God calls us to be unified. He doesn't call us to be uniform. Uniform being the same, exactly the same. God calls us to unity, not uniformity. We don't see that in life and we don't see that in Scripture, we make the mistake too often of thinking that in order for us to be uh, united, we have to be the same. And that's just not the case. We can listen to different music. We can enjoy different flavors of Cheez-Its. Um, <laughs> but the thing that we have to pay attention to is what divides us and what unites us. What divides us and what unites us? Because the problem today and, and where we see so much division is that people are, are um, banking on and they're holding firm on what my truth is. It's all about my truth. It's not about the truth. 
right? It's not about God's truth. It's about my truth. And my truth supersedes anything else. And so this inability of us to be able to change our minds in light of something is where we get into this conflict and division. And so I originally had three, three sermons on this topic um, because as I was reading it and looking at it, there's so much that, that we see in Scripture that talks about unity. It's so important, and it makes sense. But um, so one of, the, one of the other passages, and, and this will be on the website because me and Travis are kind of writing um, on the website now and you, so you can see articles. And I'm going to write through um, because we see in Acts 10 and Acts 15 the early church dealing with this and putting aside their truths in light of God's truth. And it's a beautiful picture to see this worked out. Um, so sometime this week, go on the website and check it out, and I'll have it written up because I can't preach three sermons to you this morning. I'm sorry. Um, I was surprised to see how much unity is covered in the Bible. So let's start. We're going to start and go through the most of the book of Ephesians. Don't get scared. Um, but this beautiful book covers, and one of the main themes in Ephesians is unity. And the way that he puts this together just goes from the beginning and all the way through. So we look at, um, starting with verse 1 of chapter 2, we see the source of unity. Starting with verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by uh, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... I love that in verse 4, but God. Those are always important. And just, but God, in his mercy, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. It's a, it's a gift of grace. And in these, past, in these verses, we see the source of our unity, right? Because if we get this wrong, if we, if we, we can be united around anything, but if we have the wrong source of what brings us together, then we're in trouble. There's a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters that I think perfectly symbolizes uh, uh, and brings us to light. Um, so he's talking about in, in here the... The historical Jesus, right? And the biography of Jesus and how if only we had a perfect picture of Jesus, then everybody would believe in him. But he says, and I'll pick it up here. Indeed, the materials for a full biography have been withheld from men. The earliest converts were converted by a single historical fact. Single historical fact. The resurrection. And a single theological doctrine which is the redemption. 
So we have a, a single historical fact and a single theological doctrine operating on a sense of sin, which they already had. And not sin, and sin, not against some new fancy dress law produced as a novelty by a great man, but against the old, the platitudinous, universal moral law which they have been taught by their nurses and mothers. The Gospels came later and were written not to make Christians, but to edify Christians already made. Not to make Christians, but to edify Christians already made. So they were convinced the thing that unified them was this single historical fact of the resurrection and the single theological doctrine of redemption. And this is backed up, and you see it in uh, Ephesians 1.7. You can jump back there if you want. 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Redemption. That was what unified them. Who Jesus was and his resurrection in history and then the redemption of us. That was the source. That was what unified them so early on. And over time, we've added things and added things that you have to fit into this mold in order to be right. And yet we see in this source of our unity, we see that initially, right? Initially, in verses 1 through 3, where we were is that we were divided from God. Granted, we were unified. We were just unit, we were in unity with something else. Because all of us worship something. We all follow something. We're all tied to something. And if it's not God, it's something else. So in verse, in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Get this. Following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we had unity. We were just unified around the wrong thing that was destroying us. And so it's important that we get the source of our unity right. That it's something that brings us life and not death. Then we ask the question too, why he saved us? And we see that. We see in verse 4 that it was because of his great love. And that so he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. And for all of eternity, we're going to be witnessing that. The grace of God by which he saved us. So that he could show us his grace. And finally with this is how he saved us, right? Because once we have that, we need to understand also how he saved us. How this works. And it's by grace, as a gift of God, through faith, he made us alive. Through the work of Jesus. Through the person and work of Jesus. And we can track this down, starting with verse uh, 13 in chapter 2. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus. Later in that verse, he says, we are brought near by the blood of Jesus. 
Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. In verse 16, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Right? It's the work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you. The work of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And finally in verse 18, for through him we both, for through him, for through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. And get this, right? And as you read Ephesians, and my, my, your homework this week is to read through the book of Ephesians because there's something else here that you'll see. It's the beauty of the unity of the church, right? Because there's unity in the church and it's beautiful. And it's the beauty of the unity of the church is reflected in the beauty of the unity of God and the process of our salvation. So the unity of the church, right? When we come together, it's mirrored in the unity of God, the three persons of the Trinity at work in our salvation. And you see it right here in verse 18. For through him, him being Jesus, right? (laughs) By Sunday school answer, Jesus, the Son. We both have access in one spirit. Capital S, it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is at work and allows us to come together. We have access in one spirit to the Father. To the Father. And it says that we are, we are sealed uh, somewhere else in, Hebrews, uh, in Ephesians. It talks about how we're sealed in the Spirit. And how all of them, all persons of the Trinity are at work in our salvation and building up the church. Just as we need to be united. Now that we have the source of our unity and we understand that, we can move on to the composition of our unity. Right? Once we understand, okay, where are we starting from? Then we ask ourselves, who are we with? Who's with us? What is this makeup, the composition of the unity? And we see that in chapter, uh, in verse 11. He, he goes on, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself 
being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There you see it again in verse 22. Again, the unity of God in the Trinity. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In him for God by the Spirit. Now, for the context of this and for what he's talking about here specifically, he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews, right? Because in the early church, and you'll see this, this is the issue that was addressed in Acts 10 and 15. This was the issue that was addressed by the early church, was this separation between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews thinking, nah, you don't really make the cut. You've got you to gotta jump through some hoops first. And Paul is saying here, we have unity through the work in Jesus, that which divided us, no longer divides us. That which separated us, no longer separates us. We are one in Christ. In John 17, Jesus prays his prayer for you and for me and for all of us as his disciples, both then and now, is that we might be one, just as he and the Father are one. In an amazing statement, you should go back and read, just read John 17. This was going to be one of my other messages that I just, I had three and I couldn't fit it. And so this was going to be the other one because in this, uh, there's an amazing statement where he says that our unity in the church, when we are together of, in one mind, that this is how the world will know that Jesus was sent by God. Our unity is how the the world will know that Jesus was sent by God. Our unity across denominational lines, across ethnic lines, across uh, socioeconomic lines, geographic lines, this is our testimony to the world. When we come together and put aside our differences, and as churches, as Bible-believing, Christ-centered churches, come together and say, this is what unites us. The world looks at that and says, there's something to this. From all different backgrounds, from all different places of life, being able to put aside that which separates us. The world looks at that. Jesus says, this is how they know. And so I don't know if you came in here thinking this morning that maybe unity was a nice idea, but... I hope this puts a significance in your mind about how important it is that we take this unity seriously. That when the world looks at us and sees a church that is divided, they're not impressed. And they are turned off to the church when they see that even us, that's why it says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. But in this, and this is Jesus' prayer, and this needs to be our prayer, is that we are one, no matter who we are. As long as we believe in those things that, that are true to Christ and true to Scripture, that we can be united. Because we see also the, in the composition that we are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. 
I want to take a second real quick and pause on that citizen word. Because our citizenship is not here. We are just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to reflect that. In the way that we live. That our loyalty and our identity is first rooted in Christ. And then we can focus on all the other things that might unite us or divide us. But our citizenship, and it needs to reflect that. We need to, we need to look and act like foreigners to the rest of the world. We need to be so different because of who we are as Christians that they look at us as foreigners from the way that we act, from the way that we live, from the way that we talk. And this goes back to sometimes where division is a good thing because you don't want to be so separated. For, uh, you don't want to be so much like the world that people can't tell that there's anything different with you. You know, like, oh, we want to just, we want to blend in and, and make them feel accepted. That's great, but if we compromise on our faith and the things that make us who we are, then nobody's going to be able to tell who we are. We need to be unique and set apart from the rest of the world. Another piece of the, of the, the composition of what makes us unity and who we are as unity is the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets and with Christ as the cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets aren't living anymore, but guess what? They left us a nice little map. A nice little blueprint that we can follow that says, follow this. Because anything else that we build our unity around is, is I mean, what are we standing on if it's not the word? And Christ as the, the cornerstone... If you don't know what a cornerstone is, it's something that's very critical and important to any structure. So the thing that's laid first, and guess what? It's in the corner, right? Anybody get that? Good. Okay. So it's put in the corner, and it's very important because what happens is that the rest of the building, the rest of the structure is built around and based on that cornerstone. If the cornerstone is off, 90 degrees, if it's off kilt, if it's, if it's tilted or not solid... The, the rest of the building is in danger and it's weak and prone to collapse. That's why if we have anything else as our cornerstone except for Christ, it's not going to stand. And that is why Christ needs to be the cornerstone of our unity and what we are made of as, unit, as, as one body and one building. Because in, in verse 22 we see... In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In 1 Peter um, 2.5, he calls us living stones. You are a living stone. You're a living stone. You're a living stone. You are all part of this beautiful structure that God is building up. His church. And I don't know about you, but when I ever th- get down on myself or question my value or what use God could possibly have for me, I'm so thankful when I'm reminded that I am part of the church. I am a building block. I am part of this building that God is making. And you are too, so you need to understand the value that you have in the church. If you ever doubt, how could God use me? 
You are vital. You are critical. Another example, another, another image that he uses is the body. You're all parts of the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but an ear is pretty important. If you think, well, I'm just an ear, I'm not, you know. You're all important to the body. And once we have our composition and who, what, what makes us unity, we can move on to our mandate or to the nature. And this is uh, chapter 4. So we're just moving through the book um, because he just goes on and on. And it's amazing. But he says uh, in verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And it's important that we see there in verse 1, because this is what Paul does in his letters, is that he builds the theological case, right? Here's who you are. Here's the work that Christ did. Here's who you are in unity as the church. And then he moves on. What do you do with it? I'm teaching you this thing. How do you live it? How do you walk it out? And we see him start this in verse uh, in chapter 4. The I therefore, right? Who knows this? The, we always ask, there, uh, how does it, what's the therefore? Therefore. Because what he does, and when you see that in scripture, that should set off bells in your head. Because he's going back and he's saying, therefore, in light of what I was just talking about, now this. And in this case, he's saying, therefore, in light of chapters 1 through 3, all this talk about the work of Christ and building you up into a church, therefore, now, here's what you do with it. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, to be the church. That's our calling. And he says it this way, with all humility... Right? Because if we're jostling for position, there's not going to be any unity in the church. Same with gentleness. Harsh words can disrupt unity in the blink of an eye. Patience. Bearing one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's the nature of this unity. But what always happens when we've got our call and we're, we're walking and we're, when we're heading out into, um, to, to step into this unity, what happens is that there's a threat. There's always a threat. The enemy is always working to divide us, to separate us, to destroy what God is building. And we see that in verse uh, 14 of chapter 4. If you jump down a little bit. So then... Uh, <laughs> So we're being built up. Um, God is equipping us until we can attain the unity of the faith. Uh, And then in verse 14, he says, So that we we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
carried about by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I'm going to ask Dylan. He's my lovely assistant this morning. I'm going to ask him. I've got something for him to bring in. uh, And he's going to set something up for us real quick. Um, But it's important that we know the the threat to our unity. And so, um, does anybody like building Legos or anything like that? Does anybody remember these? Building blocks. Mm. That still smells good. All right. So anybody play with these as a kid? Building blocks? Yeah. I need somebody. I'm going to ask for some participation here. Oh, I'm going to put this up so you guys can see. Um, But who can... I, I need somebody who can build me a church out of blocks. Do I have a volunteer? Anybody? Somebody? Somebody, it's not, it's not, I'm not going to bite. Somebody, Emily, beautiful. All right, Emily's going to come. She's going to, she's going to, I mean, there's, there's triangle pieces. There's some round pieces. It's nice, you know, got different blocks. Um, so come on up and, and just start building. So Emily, you are Jesus, right? She is Jesus. Um, <coughs> and she's just going to start building. She's building the church, you know, she's doing great. Um, is she doing good? Yeah, she is. Okay. Um, don't don't use that one. So so if you notice though the the arch on this it's it's off. So so she can't really use that. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna help you out real quick. This should go there. Um, I'm just trying to help. No 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 no. Listen, I'm just trying to help. So this no not like that. Not like that. So that that should go like that. Doesn't that look better? No. Uh, okay. All right. So you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna. I need to. I'm just gonna. I got it over here. I'm building. I'm building. Yeah. No. 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 I'm. I'm doing it. No. Um. Not really. Not really. So I'm just gonna. Okay. Thank you. So I. So I've got mine over here. Right. This is nice. I. I don't know about that one. Um. But so I'm just gonna. So. Um, actually, you, you did uh, So in the first service, Kat was building this, and she just pushed my church off the, off the table. Um, she was having none of it, but it was, it was okay. Thank you. Um, because what happens is that so often, Jesus is just trying to build his church. You're done. You did so great. Thank her for building the church this morning. Um, but so often, Jesus is just trying to build the church, and he's using whatever pieces he has. Right? And they're all different. But, but we say, uh, you know, we come in and we have our ideas of, of that this one won't work. And this one, uh, there's one in here that has a knot in it. So it's not really pretty. And, um, and then we just, you know, well, you know, I'd like to build it my way. And design my church. And so often, it just leads to ruin. Because we think to ourselves, I could do it better. I could build a better church. And my heart for Summit is that it doesn't look like Summit. I don't want us to look like Summit. I want us to look like Jesus. Whatever plan we have, whatever design or vision we have for Summit, if it doesn't look like Jesus, then we're in trouble and we're heading off course. In Acts 20, verse 29 and 30, Paul is leaving the Ephesian church. He's heading away. His time there is done. 
And it's so fitting that he says this, and it ties in with this. He says, uh, he's saying goodbye to the elders, and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And how fitting that later he writes this same passage and this book to the Ephesians. Because he knew what was happening and he knew the importance of unity. Because he understood that as soon as he left, people were going to come in and try and mess what God was doing. There's a threat. We are under attack. Our unity is under attack from people that want us to, to make small things big. But what's the goal? Right? We have this we have this mandate, we have this purpose, we have this the, you know, this makeup of who we are and, and, and who is in unity together. But what is the goal? So a little later in, in chapter four, verses fifteen and sixteen, he says this rather speaking the truth in love. And that part is important, in love. Because I know that sometimes when people want to give you the be brutally honest. They're more interested in the brutal than the honesty. And so we speak truth, but we do it in love. Speaking truth in love. Not things that are sound good, not things that we think will make people happy and come together and bring peace. Not what's popular today. Speaking truth. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, every joint, not just the important ones, not the ones you see on Sunday morning, every joint with which is it equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're to grow up into him. We're to grow to look like Christ and reflect Christ and who he is. The last thing that that I'll say about this in verse 16, he is the source of our growth. He is the source of our growth. Into Christ, right? Get this. So we're being built into him, into Christ, from whom the whole body when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. If Christ is not the source of our growth, then we're in trouble and we're doing it wrong. He needs to be the thing that makes us grow. Not fancy outreach, not a fancy marketing scheme, not the right kind of music. It's if we're in Christ Jesus, then we grow. And the last thing I want to share um, before the worship team comes up is the, the rest of the book of Ephesians. And we can go through. But um, what I love about this is the way that unity, when it's done right, when God is in it, 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 it just overflows into every aspect of our life. And that is my challenge to us today. That is my heart, is that it, 
our unity that we experience in the church overflows into every aspect of our life. So, um, continuing with chapter 4, then in, in verse 5, he's talking about walking in love. Be imitators of God as, as beloved children. Um, and walk in love as Christ loved us. And he talks about ways that we can um, separate ourselves and remain pure in our unity. But he goes on, um, starting with verse 22, talking to wives and husbands. And how there can be unity in marriage and cohesion in marriage. When they're both submitting to God's role for their marriage. How there is unity in that. And then moving on... um, in chapter 6, children and parents and how there can be unity in our household and how when Christ and when we are unified in him, how it overflows and manifests itself in our homes between the, our relationships with our parents and how there's no rebellion there. Um, let's pray for that. Um, uh, and then starting in verse 5, um, slaves and masters. Unity between slaves and masters. And if you want to bring that into, the, into today's con, um, context, employee, employees and management. And there's no division there. Nobody's been under the thumb of an impressive boss. I'm sure of it. But what, what the author is saying here is that, um, and we can just read it in verse 9. Uh, so he talks about how slaves are to, to honor their master and work for their master. And what a calling for us in our workplace when we see the, the, the ugh, nice words for the people in leadership who make really dumb decisions, um, how we work in unity with them to encourage them and build them up instead of thinking, I could do that better. Instead of, th- instead of saying with our colleagues, uh, you know, can you believe what they did again? Can you? They got to get this person out. And bad mouthing people in authority. But get this, right? Because I'm sure some of you are, are good managers. Masters do the same. This is a verse nine. Masters do the same to them, and stop your threatening. Anybody ever been threatened by your boss before? Anybody ever faced that kind of pressure? And you know, you've got to meet those quotas. Stop your threatening, knowing that if he who is both their master, right, your employee's master, and yours is in heaven, both serving the same master, and that there is no partiality with him. Whether you're in the corner office or answering the phones at the front desk, whatever it is, wherever you stand, there is no partiality with God. And we can be unified in our work. As difficult and as challenging as that is, I can, I can imagine some of the places where you work and the, and the toxic place where you are just up against it and it's the most you can do to not tell somebody how you feel. But that's just what God is saying. He's saying is that this unity needs to be in every part of our life. It needs to start in our life, and then it needs to go to our church, and then it needs to go to our world. And that is how God uses it. If you look in Ephesians chapter 3, 
Uh, Paul talks about how um, the church is the way that, that God decided to reveal the mystery of the gospel. The church. You and me is how God chose to reveal the mystery of the gospel. So I'm going to invite the worship team up uh, to play. And we're going we're gonna to close. And I'm just going to... I want to challenge you. Wherever you are. Instead of focusing on what divides us. Say, look, here's my Christ. Here's how he redeemed me. We can agree on that. And again, I'm, uh, I want to warn you. Not to compromise who you are. I don't want unity just for unity's sake where we can all be buddy-buddy. Do not compromise on those important things of who Christ is and what he did. Because I think there's this draw where if we can all just get along and live and let live, then that's great. And everybody will be happy. But like I said, it's not my truth that I need to live by. It's God's truth. It's the truth that's important. And so understand that source, where it's coming from. Understand who around you, what that makeup is, who we are in unity. And then our mandate and our goal. And I love to see the the idea of a church coming together and being unified. There's nothing like it. But that's my heart for you this morning. So when we walk in these doors, whatever separations we have, whatever divisions they have, they fall away in the light of Christ and his work for us. Let's pray. Lord, you did something for us that we don't deserve. And when we were separated from you, you stepped out of heaven because you loved us so much. And you sent your only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever believes in him. That all of us coming together, whoever we are, that if we believe in you and your son and his death and resurrection and his work on the cross, that we would be united and we would have eternal life. So Father, I pray that you keep that at the forefront of our minds as we go. God, that we don't look so much at what separates us, but what unifies us. And it's you. And I thank you that you did that. I thank you that you died for us so that we could be united with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.